Yeah, I think everyone here probably is aware I'm going to be completely out of my comfort zone today. I've never done anything like this. So I just really hope that there's not much of me in this messages, in these messages, because it's just all hopefully inspired by God. So, and we can just grow together. So that was my little disclaimer. Like we'll just get stuck in, shall we? Right, so, yeah, I, I kind of start with 2 Peter 3, 14 to 18, which is, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I'm just going to read from what I've written. Hopefully I won't sound too robotic. Hopefully I haven't written too much. But I was going to write about how these verses give credence from the great Apostle Peter to the scriptures of Paul as being totally inspired. This is Paul that made himself to be a slave of Christ and proclaimed to be the least of the apostles. Why did Peter say the scriptures are hard to understand and how can it be twisted? And um, I just thought about this. I thought, well, they are not hard to understand if we seek a relationship with God. The scriptures are revealed to us personally by God himself through the Holy Spirit. It is because many in church today turn aside, so remain empty of God and seek to understand for their own wisdom. People wish to find approval for how they want to live and do so by twisting God's words, leaving themselves open to receiving distorted teachings. They are ignoring the Holy Spirit and left void of a true relationship. They are left empty. The great Samuel warned about Israel about this in 1 Samuel 12:21, And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. That's what originally started me off on this. However, I will not go deeper into this because God put it on my heart to preach to me something else. And so I'm kind of preaching to myself. So everything I'm talking today is really me preaching to myself, but it's relevant for everyone. So notice that Peter called poor brother. I found myself thinking, why, God, do I struggle calling anyone brother and sister other than my siblings? I often want to do so. But I do not. I see barriers I know would completely break down because there's power in making you a brother and sister and a relationship with form. A bond is made and I would love you like a brother and sister. And now I'm just asking myself, what is this powerful bond? And I thought, well, Jesus, if I look at you as a brother and sister in Christ, I should see Jesus in you. But as I previously said, many today are void of a true relationship with Jesus. They are left empty. Without Jesus, there can be no bond. So in 2 Peter 3.18, it's Peter said, grow in grace and knowledge. As God's children, we all have the Holy Spirit. We just need to ask, listen and respond. And you know what did Jesus say in Luke 8.21? But he answered and said to them, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
you know, we might not all hear the word of God in the same way. It will be when you read your Bible, but some it might be when you hear something in a sermon or a voice in the night. Some might dream, some might have visions. You know, it might be through the person that speaks to you next. And Jesus declared those who heard him and responded to him to be his brothers and sisters. I think that definitely makes all of you my brothers and sisters, because, you know, are we not supposed to imitate Christ? If you are the brother of Christ, then that doesn't that make you my brother too? And I mean, the answer is yes. I should be able to look at you in the eye and see Christ in you and declare that I am your brother and you are my brother. And then we can glorify God together. If we see God in each other and love one another, if we abide in Christ as one body serving each other in spirit and truth. So you don't have to answer, but let me ask you something. Do you ever look someone in the eye? And I'm not referring to a husband or wife or child or sibling. You know, how will you see Christ in me if you won't look me in the eye? And in Matthew 6, 22, 23, it says the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if you, your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And, you know, of course, Jesus is the light. So if I look you in the eye, I should see Jesus in you. I struggle doing this, even though I know it can break down more barriers. I will see life in the person I speak with. I will connect and have compassion and love them as a brother or sister. But what stops me? It's sin. It all comes down to sin. So, you know, sin separates us from God. Sin will prevent us looking at one another in the eye. It might be something we have said, things we might have done, gossip we might have made, and Satan will use it to form a barrier between you and me. He does not want us to see the Son of God within each other because it would bring us closer to the Lord and we would become a beacon of light that glorifies God. Sin would cause us to turn away from each other and from God. We are left void of a true relationship, empty. It is about the condition of the heart. God has sown a good seed into our heart and then provides it with light, but we can allow negativity to control us by focusing on the things that we think are not right with our brothers and sisters instead of praising God for what is good. You know, I've, I've been guilty of this and Satan will then sliver in and place a log in our eyes because the eye should be our lamp. This log casts a shadow over God's seed. The seed will struggle to grow. The more we are negative, the larger the log until the good seed inside our heart can no longer receive light. The seedling is left in a withered state underneath the shadow of sin, yet God's light is always there. The Holy Spirit is shining upon those logs in case that one day he can penetrate just enough to stir the seed into growth. We all need to keep God rooted in our hearts and seek his light. Praise God for what is good in each other. We can grow dull as a Christian, but God died on the cross and gave birth to the church for us. He has given us each other to serve each other, to love each other, to give light to the whole world. There is power in the name of Jesus. And the Lord He will always be there. To 1 Samuel 3.10 Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. And, you know, I think the Lord is always near and calling us and he waits for us to invite him in, to commune with him. When the Lord was calling Samuel, Samuel had to invite the Lord to speak and offer himself as a willing servant. 
this is the same pattern we should follow. I want to ask you another question, which I'm asking myself the same question. So do you answer the Lord by saying, Lord, I am your humble servant. Speak to me. I am listening. If you do not, then you will miss out on a blessing. We must invite God. We must be seeking him. God calls us to wait and waits for us, for us to answer the form of relationship. Samuel heard God and offered himself as a servant. So whatever God asks of us, we can rest assured the Lord only wants what is good for us. And it is good for us to follow his greatest commandment, which is to love and everything else should come about naturally. So that leads me to Matthew 23, 36 to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So if we are the imitation of Christ, then we should love our neighbour. This includes our brothers and sisters. I think our church is a loving church. I have seen us helping each other, each in different ways, according to their skills and abilities. Financial support, physically, but more importantly, we help by taking things to God in prayer, interceding. You know, I mean, everyone knows I'm not brilliant at praying in a meeting, but I am praying throughout the day. But going back to seeing Christ in others, we need to be cautious who we refer to as brothers and sisters, because it is disagreement to their beliefs. We can unintentionally cause them to go further astray or we be led astray ourselves. I am not saying people can't disagree, but to become a brother and sister, we need to have a mutual belief in who Jesus is. He is God, he is the Son of God, and he is part of our triune Godhead. Three persons in one, and through Jesus we are saved. So I was just thinking, you know, if, if I saw someone in the street giving a sandwich to a poor man, I would see Christ in them. And I might praise the Lord for their love and actions. And if I saw someone help an old man onto his feet, just as an example, I might think, I'll see Christ in him. But these people might be misguided. They might be, you know, a Jehovah's Witness basing their salvation on good works and proclaiming that our Lord and Saviour is the Archangel Michael and the Trinity does not exist. You know, that's in their mind. I have an auntie that actually believes this, so I think this is very serious. It is the Holy Spirit that will teach us, remind us of all things. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot love through the Spirit and we will not know Jesus. And if we do not know Jesus, then we do not know the Father. We will not have a relationship with the Father because the only way to the Father is through Jesus. So receiving the Holy Spirit is key. If you believe in God, but not the Trinity, then you have not the Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, but not that he is God, then you have not the Spirit. Only by the Spirit will you get to know God and form any relationship. So if you are refusing to accept Jesus as God, is because you have refused to listen to the Holy Spirit or rejected him. And this cannot be forgiven unless you decide to repent and accept the Holy Spirit before it's too late. If you do not believe Jesus is God, then you are not going to spend eternity in heaven, but in hell. My view of the Trinity is this. The Father never denies the prayers of his Son, because the prayers of his Son is according to the will of the Father. His son is part of the Godhead and has been given authority to rule over all things. So if his son requests that the third person of the Trinity be given to us, which is the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is inside us right now. It is a gift from the Father through the Son at the request of the Son, according to the Father's will. So therefore, it is also from the Son who made the actual request. 
The Holy Spirit is both from the Father and the Son, and as God in us. It is both grace and mercy, but it is up to us to believe in him, to invite him in, to grow inside of us, to become a light within us. In my first year of deciding to become a Christian, I taught myself this way of understanding the Trinity. If you look at fire, it has three things. It has a flame, it has warmth, and it has light. You cannot have fire without all three things occurring. The light that is produced from a, a fire cannot exist without the flame. The warmth produced from the fire cannot exist without the flame. It might not be a perfect analogy, but it helped me greatly. And whilst writing this today, I realised what a bigger an analogy this can be. Because shouldn't we be all like the fire? Fire spreads and where it goes, it brings warmth and light. And the church should be doing this. Also, God is non-consuming fire. We are all going to be tested by fire, purified and the dross thrown away. So, you know, fire is going to destroy the earth. So I think it's fitting that God is non-consuming fire. You know, when I say, you know, the church should be warmth, obviously, I'm not saying we should just all be like lovey-dovey. It's, you know, we should tell the truth. And if people accept the truth, it will become a warmth for them. So before going back to discussing God's um, good work, we must be cautious of praising actions of those doing good works with incorrect motive. Those who attempt to work their way to heaven by rejecting the Holy Spirit and denying Christ because we can unknowingly encourage people giving their false approval. I might be just saying I might be, you know, void of a true relationship right now. And how would you know? I might be trying to work my way to heaven by writing this mini message. To love one another requires giving from the heart. If, if our good deeds do not come naturally and afterwards we are thinking, well, wasn't I so good? I hope everyone hears about what I have done and, you know, they would think I am so great. Then you did not do it with the spirit of God, but to win praises from men. Just praise God and then forget that you even done it because, you know, you know that you even did a good deed because it's simply doing what we should do. You know, the money you might have given someone, well, if you have given it, then it was always destined to be for that person. Praise God that you were blessed by being able to partake in a blessing by sacrificing something that was never yours in the first place. You have simply, simply transferred what was entrusted to God to you by God. It is about doing God's will, about being an obedient and loyal servant for our God and abiding in the body of Christ. Jesus said to us when he talked about good deeds in Matthew 25, 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father and help the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then. The righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see your, you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see your stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So I think the point in this is those who did these things clearly did it out of pure love they have the light of God in them. They did not know that Jesus would come and say, 
in as much as you did it to one of these, the least of these mob brethren, you did it to me. So they cannot be accused of doing it for self-gain. For They cannot be accused of doing it for rewards in heaven. But notice Jesus himself is using the word brethren in verse 40. And he is proclaiming that by doing things for the brethren, we are essentially doing it as directly for him. And he would view it as such. This is alluding to the body of Christ and seeing Christ in each other. Because he is in each of us and we should be in him. But what about seeing Christ in those who are not brothers? So I think this is where the greater challenge is. Because many of us who are not saved were subscribed to a way of life that we simply cannot participate in. In my workplace, they will say things and use bad language whilst I pray for them. Occasionally I can see Christ in them, but I need to remember, rather than examining them and judging them, I should be examining myself instead, because I should be alike to them. So my colleagues can see Jesus is the only way. But it is easy to be occupied with other things, especially in these days. You know, I am covering several jobs and I am tired and at times I'm grumpy. And I think it ought not to be that way. And uh, the answer really is to just rest in Christ. And the logs and planks can be removed if we abide in the body of Christ and have what love for one another. On one particular bad day at work, I messaged the church when I nearly lost my patience. Satan wanted me to behave with retaliation. And Christianity in my workplace would have been there a big blow because I am the only Christian. So I went to the canteen. And Satan followed me in disguise because whilst I was in the canteen getting a coffee, a guy I have spoken to previously about God saw my tattoos on my arms. You can see them if you look at the camera today. So he was actually shocked and in disbelief and he could not fathom or have tattoos. Not because he is against tattoos, but it simply did not fit who he perceived me to be. Seeing those tattoos to him is like looking at someone else. And so he remarked, I can never, ever look at you the same again. You are a dark horse. And this remark actually bothered me because I want to reflect Jesus. I don't want to be, you know, I want to be a light. I don't want to be described as a dark horse. Satan made me feel like a terrible sinner. And yes, I have been a terrible sinner, you know, but then the prayers of the church intercede with the prayers of the church interceding for me. God made me see, you know, there was good in what this guy said. And Chris, funny enough, is his name, meaning bear of Christ. And although he is not saved, what he said is good for me. You see, it is evidence that my old life is dead and I am someone else born again. We are all being born again. And this is something I will hopefully elaborate my thoughts on deeper in another message, Lord willing, because the Lord gave me loads of stuff I didn't put to paper yet and um if i'm born again then i should become a man of christ these tattoos he saw were before i knew god and no one before him ever had an issue with me having tattoos so i have been born again and only realized that thanks to prayers of the brothers and sisters interceding for me prayer you know brothers and sisters in the body of christ the lesson is god can use non-believers to speak to us by turning what Satan intends for bad into a blessing. And hopefully one day this guy will realise that my bodily flesh is the old me and that the me that he has known me to be is actually him seeing close to me. You know, hopefully God has used me as a light to show him that too he can radically change.
So now if you was listening, just now you would have heard me say, we should become the family of Christ. God gave me some thoughts on this as well on another day at work. Somehow God gave me this term while reading Psalm 20. God showed me that we should be the banner of Christ. At work, the evidence is obvious because everyone knows I am a Christian, yet I only told my manager. It was not long before I received comments that I never swear. Some avoid swearing when they are around me. Some apologise but continue to swear anyway. Um, but clearly, some are convicted. Yet I have never pulled anyone up for bad language. So on another tough day, I decided I needed a break and I went to the canteen. I leave the Bible in the canteen amongst a collection of books and I took the Bible and I prayed. I really wanted to take, you know, for God to take control. So I opened the Bible and I landed on Psalm 20 and I think truly God spoke to me that day. So on Psalm 25, it says, we will rejoice in thy salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fill all thy petitions. So my meditation started when I read the word banners. That really was just the key word for me. And I paused and I had to go back and read that verse again and again and again. And I was just drawn to setting up our banners in the name of God. And I just thought, banners of Christ, we should raise up our banners in the name of Jesus. And of course, the Lord will answer all of our petitions if we ask according to his will. But, you know, just listen for a minute. You remember when Israel was in the wilderness and they camped around the tabernacle on all sides and the banners on each side were a lion, a man, an ox and an eagle. These banners point to God's throne and this is hell. And an angel presides over God's throne is a cherubim. The cherubim has four faces, a lion, a man, an ox and an eagle. And cherubim are created to be angels of light just as we should be like. And you know, if I'm right, I think Satan was actually one of those angels. Uh, just as these four banners point to God on his throne, the church is to be a banner of Christ. How? Well, we are to be the bride of Christ. That means we are to be in Christ and Christ in us. We are to be one with Christ and so we are to reign with Christ. God said he wrote his new covenant on the tables of our hearts and that is how we become his banners. By receiving the Holy Spirit who reminds us of all things. We need to put up our banners and point to our Lord Jesus. And if you're thinking, like God did, hmm, but this is an Old Testament, you know, this is a psalm meant for kings. You know, just remember, Jesus is, Jesus is the king of kings and sits on the throne. And not only do the banners point to God's throne, but the Israelites were camped in the shape of a cross. The cross formation was formed by a body of men in fleshly bodies just as God took the form of a man in the flesh, to be brutally nailed to the cross. I can see a picture here, a body of men in a sinful flesh forming the shape of a cross. And I think that can be representative of those who Jesus came to save. I think it can represent the body of Christ, the church that Jesus gave birth to when his blood was poured out after being speared in the side. And in Revelation 1, 4, 6, being Christians washed in the precious blood of Jesus qualifies us for prayers. So I haven't read Revelation 1, 4, 6. I didn't write that down. Um, but John, I'll read it out. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to God and and to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So being Christians washed in the precious blood of Jesus qualifies us for crowns. And so we are made to be like kings ruling with and this you know, ruling with and for this great king of kings. We we give the crowns back to our Lord, place them at his feet, and I thought, why? You know, um, I think one reason could be because Jesus crushed, crushed the head of the serpent, and I believe in doing so, we are acknowledging him to be the king of kings, and that all the works we might have done was all his work. Not our work, but he is the one who declared it is finished. Whatever we accomplish on this earth in his name is by grace. That does not change the fact that these crowns are given to us and we are to reign with him as little kings. We are to reign higher than the angels and judge them. We might even judge the cherubim. And, you know, I'm also thinking of Satan there. You know, Satan is our accuser and he's accusing us. And it might just be that, you know, things turn around completely and we would be actually be accusing him. So... Just a thought, and um, I want to read a section of something I wrote a year and a half ago, which is touching on good works and rewards. And if you take anything home from this message today, I really would like it to be from what I'm about to read now, because reading it back, I was just, you know, I just didn't even feel like I wrote this. It was just, and I think it was, you know, I can't believe I didn't do anything with what I wrote, and I think maybe it was just written for today, you know. And I titled it Foolishness. All right, so 1 Corinthians one eighteen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved is the power of God. And I thought, how true I have come to view this verse. When I, this is what I wrote a year and a half ago. So when I look back on my life and on all of my past, most know little about, I see now nothing else but foolishness. I was not a believer and all I did and thought and cared about was foolishness. But I did not see it to be foolish. I believe much of what I thought and did was sensible, was wise. Even when I knew it was wrong, I could reason that it was right to do wrong and even wise. But I viewed Christianity as foolish without a fair hearing at all. I actually did not know anything about God, which just made my judgment totally foolish. And I was happy to be a law to myself, being my own God. When, I'm at, when I am at work, I can see and also fully understand how others view my faith, because I was once one of those unsaved. They look at me like I am foolish, and they view themselves as wise in comparison. But I am looking at them thinking, how sad you are, you know, all totally foolish and blind like I once was. And I don't mean that judgmentally, because, you know, I did judge Christianity for probably 35 years. You know, and I am now being judged at work as foolish for the same things I judged others. There is absolutely nothing foolish about God's word, and I have difficulty accepting that I did not believe when I look at my life before as a Christian, I am looking at a different life. It is the power of God, and now I am a Christian saved by grace, and I call our Lord, Lord. In Luke 6.46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? So I got thinking, you know, what is it God is asking us to do? 
because no matter how much I do, I feel I'm not doing anywhere near enough. I really do not feel I'm doing enough. And what I do for the Lord is like a filthy rag. But I also feel no matter how much I do, it will always be a filthy rag. Good work should be left to occur naturally out of faith and only Jesus is truly righteous and can fulfill the commandments. No, ma no man can enter heaven without him. We are already saved, clothed in his righteousness, if we believe and seek the Lord with all our heart and all our soul and have faith. I know I am saved, but I still feel I do not do enough. And why, I wonder. And then I read this, 2 Corinthians 5.9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I was thinking, you know, Christ in us is what makes us pleasing to the Lord. However, we will all be judged by the things done in the body, whether good or bad, and receive our rewards in heaven. This is not related to salvation, but dependent on the verdict of what we have done for the Lord. How we lived in the flesh will determine our position in heaven. But when I've got thinking, I don't want to do good works with the wrong motivation of trying to win some kind of special rank in heaven. That does not feel right and would be like filthy rags anyway. But if I am already saved, then seeking to do good works to move up a rank would be exactly what I'm trying to do. Good works can also become self-righteous and self-glorifying, and people can praise you instead of praising God for the so-called good deeds. And so again, why do I feel like I'm not doing enough? And then I read this, the parable of the talents, and I've only shown a snippet here. Matthew 25, 20. So he who had received five talents came and bought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over, over many things. <laughs> Enter into the joy of your Lord. You know, the Lord entrusts us with what is his. And actually all things are his, including us. And the Lord is pleased when we use wisely what is his. In this parable, the ones who were faithful, um, the ones who were fruitful, by growing what the Lord trusted to them, were then rewarded according, accordingly with their position matching their ability. With a position matching their ability. All of the servants in this parable were entrusted with the same thing. So I got thinking, what thing is it the Lord has entrusted us with? What could be the most important thing we can do for the Lord, for each other, without it being to seek good works, not self-serving? Then I realised the Bible, God's word, the very thing which we are discussing right now, the gospel. Some say it's the Lamb's book of life, but even if it is not that book, it's still a book of life, as it is God's word and promises life. Jesus is God. Jesus is the word and he is life. Spreading the gospel is not self-serving but done out of faith and then I'll just underline here for some reason when I wrote this year and a half ago I underlined and wrote be ready for persecution so I think I was warning myself you know because you know if we are not being persecuted even you know in this country persecution is not like it is in other countries but if we are not having opposition from people not being persecuted then we're probably not really getting the gospel out you know and 
I can honestly say I haven't been persecuted. So, but I know if I go out there and give God's word out, I will be. So I think that's just something to think about. You know, what are we doing to get the word out? Anyway, carrying on with what I wrote. Um, God has entrusted all of us with his word and given us his spirit for the task of giving out his gospel to the unbelieving world. This is the most valuable thing I can and we can do. The, full, the feeling I have is obviously not to do good work, not to do good works. Although that is recommended, but doing more in serving the Lord by spreading his gospel and letting God spread his truth through us to be his vessel. Spreading God's gospel is God at work, not us at work. Therefore, it's not a filthy rag. God's words plant seeds and saves lives. Even if we lay the foundation and God sends another to do the water and another grows that seed, you know, then that is a good, that is a good thing. I know we all have different gifts, but I think we are all entrusted and called to give out God's gospel using these gifts. And according to our ability, God knows our limitations. And if, you know, in fact, God created our limitations. So, you know, because if we didn't have limitations, we would not seek God and rest in him. Each person in the parable of talents was given a different amount depending on the ability, on their ability to grow it, according to their own God-given individual skills. And one of those people buried theirs and did nothing. So he became nothing. He did not use the, the gifts God has given him, but the fact God gave him a single talent, even just one talent, means it was within his ability to be able to grow it. So I'll just put here, let us not be like this one foolish person. God has blessed us by giving us faith. Do not hide your faith. It is God's life saving gospel. And he means for us to share it with all others. To hide the gospel we have been given is not living by faith. It is like burying it and thinking, I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm good. You know, it don't matter about anyone else, I'm safe. But I oh know I'm not doing enough, but I'll... You know, I wrote myself a question a year and a half ago, but will I do more? Maybe my ability will grow. Paul, who wrote something like, I, would, I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I'll practice. And this is me. Let us praise God. Both are something we should do more and seek his power and guidance and Holy Spirit in doing what we should do. Let us read his word and share his word and love one another. God bless, and that was the end. So that was the end of what I wrote a year and a half ago, not the end of this. But, you know, I just think, wow, I really wrote myself a message a year and a half ago, you know. And, yeah, I've not done anything with it, so I, I know what I should be doing. But, And I think this could apply to a lot of us, you know. So let us let us consider again the I. When Jesus walked this earth, if we had met him, would he have looked us in the eye? I believe so. I think in Revelation 1, 14 and 19, 12, and also I found Revelation 2, 8, you know, confirms Jesus looked us in the eye and they might be the only detailed description of someone, someone's eyes and it is those of our Lord. John was writing what he saw. He could not describe the eyes of our Lord unless he looked straight in the eyes of Jesus. Now, I've realised when I after wrote this, um, okay, in Revelation one fourteen, John wrote, his head and hair were like wool, 
as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. And in Revelation 2 8 also, these things says the Son of God, who who's, has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. And in Revelation 19 12, I realized God actually describes his own eyes to us. And God says, when he's right to churches, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his, on his head were many crowns. Also, in, interestingly, in Samuel 16:12, 1 Samuel 16:12, I did realise King David's eyes are also described, but not in so much detail, simply referring to them as having a beautiful countenance. But this means that David had goodly eyes and were at that time without planks. You know, because you know we all know what um, David did uh, with which was mentioned earlier actually you know about killing having Bathsheba's husband killed you know um so that's why I wrote about planks at that time but you know so the light was shining brightly within him the interesting part is King David is an ancestor of Jesus and a type of Christ people would have been drawn to the eyes of King David God was calling King David while Samuel was examining one of his brothers thinking surely this is the man you know, this is the one. And David's heart is rich for the Lord. God is his treasure. And the, and the evidence is throughout the Psalms. You know, so God is not deceived by the physical appearances, but checks the condition of the heart. And King David represents man and human weakness, but is, is, is about as good as a man is going to get. Jesus represents divine completeness. And David has a heart for God. It was not without blemish. And Jesus, just comparing them, Jesus is God and totally without blemish. Anyway, to continue on, this is what God said. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on on the heart. And that's what I was trying to get across earlier. Um, when we face the Lord, we might not want to look into his glorious eyes. That might appear to us as a fire. We might want to shrink and hide away in shame. However, the Lord of the love of God will not look away and we will be compelled powerfully by his majesty to willingly look at him. All things will be revealed and the dross cast away because Jesus' eyes will melt their way into our hearts and reveal what is really there. And it will either be a heart filled with love Holy, filled with light, or empty, an empty heart, void of love, containing nothing and nothingness, just the darkness of sin, an abomination to God. Which one will it be? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13:2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but not have love, I am nothing. Satan is nothing. And he wants us to be nothing. He wants to hinder our faith and disrupt the function of the body of Christ and halt the love. But additionally, today is the world's response to COVID. We cannot touch each other. We cannot stand near each other. We cannot sing together. Soon we won't be allowed to look at each other in case our eyes infect each other with the love of God and suddenly embrace with a hug. And I'll put... I wrote, even if things get that bad, despite all these cannots, we can rest, knowing that God reigns forever. No weapon formed against us shall prosper against those in Jesus Christ. And I wrote, whom shall I fear? So I think, you know, you can probably tell I've been listening to some 
Christian worship songs there. And uh, Satan knows the love of God and how powerful it is. By love, Jesus bled on the cross and declared it is finished. The veil was torn, so separation from God does not have to be. Love defeated sin, and Satan's power is diminished, but sin is Satan's only weapon, and he would try to use sin to cause separation in the church. So just be aware, do not give in to temptation. The world is becoming very antisocial, and the world we live in as Christians will be challenging, and people may challenge us if we do not follow their ways. So we must not allow sin to creep in, or else we might become the I am nothing mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13.2. This is my last slide. So I'll put together a little final message. Because of the precious blood of Jesus, we will not be destroyed and we can be the mighty ones in God if we do not turn aside. We have all heard the same truth and responded to Christ. We were sharing the same salvation. We are the brothers and sisters. We have the same father as Jesus and Jesus loves us. Jesus bleeds for us. He died for us and washed us in his own blood for eternity. As brothers and sisters, we have made our choice and we are saved. But what about those going to hell, the unsaved? May each of us find God's wisdom and identify our gifts and use our gifts and grow each other's gifts whilst functioning together as the body of Christ. To be a light reaching the unsaved. A couple of weeks ago, I said something and I want to say it again. To seek riches on this earth is foolish, but we should focus on the riches of heaven, which is God. By focusing on him with all our minds, all our soul and all our heart, us and him and him and us. You know, and what does God want? To save all of us, he wants a relationship with us. And just to finish, now who shall separate us from the love of Christ? To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.